Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because no one could do the signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said, can anyone be born after having grown old? How can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I've said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak about what we know, we testify to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I speak to you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? He said, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him might have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. I have always really liked Nicodemus. Every sermon I have ever preached about him has expressed as much. He's always been a figure of faith and of courage for me, someone who took some risks to show up to Jesus, which would have been hard for someone like him, being a Pharisee and all, one of those Jewish believers and religious leaders who were so often at odds with what Jesus was trying to do and to say and to teach and to bring into the world. So I've always been inclined to love his honesty and his curiosity, his hard questions, his rebellious willingness to approach Jesus under cover of darkness, probably risking his reputation, maybe even risking his life by consorting with the enemy, which is likely how he'd been convinced to understand and to know and to believe about Jesus. After all, what would all of his buddies, all of his fellow Pharisees say if they knew where he was that night, hanging out with that heretic from Nazareth? And I always saw it as an admirable sign of surprising deference and humility, a reverent kind of respect, that Nicodemus called Jesus rabbi and teacher before approaching him with his questions that evening that they met, again, in secret, by night, as the story goes. 
So bear with me, because this time, for the first time ever, I wondered if Nicodemus's motives weren't purely innocent when he showed up at Jesus' door or knocked on his window or whatever, under cover of that darkness. What if Nicodemus was BSing Jesus? What if he was faking all of that deference, all of that humility, all of his curiosity? What if as happened more than a few times throughout the course of Jesus' ministry, Nicodemus was just another religious leader trying to trap Jesus with some trick questions. Before I go on, it is important to say in these times when anti-Semitism is rearing its sinful head in ever-prolific ways, that when I make note of the flaws of the Pharisees in Scripture— I do that not because they're Jewish, as too many misguided souls believe, but because they look and they smell and they act too much like religious people of all kinds in the world as we know it. They are meant to be a mirror for our reflection, not a target for our judgment. Back to the story. Because there was that one time, we're told some other Pharisees plotted to entrap Jesus, so they sent their disciples to him, saying, Teacher, tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And there was another time, not long after that, that we know some Pharisees heard about how Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and one of them, another Pharisee who was a lawyer, asked Jesus a question deliberately to test him. And said, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest, he wanted to know. There was another time, too, when a different lawyer stood up, again, specifically to test Jesus, we're told, and asks him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That little inquisition led to one of the greatest stories ever told by Jesus or anyone, for that matter, the bit about the Good Samaritan. And finally, later on in John's gospel, which we just heard from this morning already, the scribes and Pharisees bring a woman before Jesus who'd been caught in adultery, and we are told again, in order merely to test Jesus so that they might have some charge to bring against him, they say, teacher, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Teacher, teacher, teacher. Teacher, trick, 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 trick. In each and every one of these stories, appearing in some way, shape, or form in each and every one of our Gospels, the Inquisitor, a Pharisee of some sort, calls Jesus teacher before testing or trying to trap and trick him into some sort of trouble. So as much as I've always been inclined to want to like Good old Nicodemus, this time around for the first time ever, I started to wonder if he just might be up to some similarly sinister shenanigans. And this only matters because of the state of our world these days and because of how things ultimately pan out for Jesus, for Nicodemus, and for the 
good news we stand to gain from all of this. See, if we're allowed to imagine that Nicodemus had ulterior motives that were less than pure, if not downright dangerous and deadly for Jesus, then what if his friends were waiting outside? What if there were others waiting for a word or a whistle or a warning from inside the house so they could finally catch Jesus in some act of blasphemy or heresy or whatever it was they thought they could use to justify his arrest or worse? Because it feels like that's how we live a lot of the time in the world these days. Like everything is a trick or a trap. Like there's a single right or wrong answer to everything depending on your political party or your religious affiliation or your race or your station in society or according to any of the various and sundry labels and measuring sticks we use to identify ourselves and to judge other people at any given moment on any particular topic. And the consequences of all of that are closed minds and something we've come to call cancel culture. The effects of this way of life are resistance to honest reflection and a disdain for curious inquiry. The results of this phenomenon are banned books and cold curriculum and conspiracy theories and racism and religious fanaticism and dying churches and echo chambers and silos of exclusive, similarly-minded souls and fear and suspicion and hatred even of the other and of the outsider and of anyone who doesn't think or believe or act in exactly the same way that we do or think that all people should. And none of this is Christ-like. Which is what Jesus shows Nicodemus and the rest of us that night that we read about in this morning's gospel. Because if we imagine, and I don't think it's a stretch, what I proposed about Nicodemus and his motives to be true, it is Jesus who is brave. Jesus who is vulnerable. Jesus who is humble. Jesus who is full of faith. Jesus who is gracious as always. If Nicodemus was just like every other religious leader who had approached him before, Jesus had to be suspicious, if not downright afraid of this stranger knocking at his door in the nighttime. And whatever he had up his sleeve that might be hiding beneath or behind all of his questions. But Jesus welcomes him. And Jesus receives all those questions and all of that curiosity anyway, whether it was real or pretend. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus without a lot of hard and fast black and white certainty. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. What in the world does that mean, Jesus? Jesus offers Nicodemus honesty 
and patience and his own kind of curiosity. If I speak to you about earthly things and you don't believe it, how are you going to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Jesus speaks from his own experience. Nothing more and nothing less. He says, we speak about what we know and we testify to the things we've seen. And he gives Nicodemus something to think about, extending to him simple grace and profound good news. The gospel in miniature is what Martin Luther called it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Something about all that honesty all that patience, all that lived experience, all that grace and good news reaches Nicodemus, no matter what his motives were in the beginning. And if what I imagined about his motives this time around is true, it changed Nicodemus also, and it changed him big time. If he didn't mean it when he called Jesus rabbi and teacher right out of the gate, we know he learned more than a little bit from his time with Jesus in the dark. Because we know Nicodemus hung with Jesus after that night. He defended Jesus in front of his accusers just a couple chapters later in John's gospel, and it was Nicodemus who showed up after Jesus' death and crucifixion to help tend to his body with Joseph of Arimathea. All of this, for me, means that if the church and its followers want to live like Jesus— and encourage others, our kids, our neighbors, our supposed enemies, and anyone or everyone who could be blessed by the grace we proclaim. If we want them to join us for this journey of faith that we share, we are called to be brave in times like these. We're being called to be patient and curious and open to hard questions and different points of view. We're being called to testify to what we have seen and to what we have experienced about God's grace in our own lives. And we're being called to remind each other and whoever will listen, especially those who aren't sure about any of this, that God's grace and God's goodness belong to them and to the whole wide world just the same. That God showed up in Jesus humble and brave and vulnerable too willing to be condemned, not to do the condemning, but to save all of it and all of us at all costs, even when that meant his very life in the end. Amen.